0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Freaky Friday, where we tell your odd but true stories. Today is Friday, January 5th, 2023. We're in the new year. First and freakiest Friday of the new year. Not the freakiest, but a freaky one. It's only (laughs) going to get freaky from here.
1: It's the freakiest Friday of 2023, because I believe it's the first one we've had. I think so. So we
0: can only get freakier from here. That's, that's the only option. Mm-hmm. Well, we hope you had a wonderful new year. We certainly did. We uh, spent it together because you were on the very tail end of your convalescence, and we didn't want to <laughs> take you out into the public. So you're uh, symptom-wise feeling better, and I never turned down an opportunity to see Petal in person. Oh, and she came in the house. It was amazing. You got,
1: Usually we just see her outside, but because it was... A little chillier, we brought her inside and so she got to hang out in the house with us, so you were very happy.
0: I was so excited to see her and we got her in from the outside which sounded like a fireworks factory and oh also a gun God. store, both caught on fire and exploded all constantly at the same time.
1: I have lived in East Dallas for over a decade. That was next level. I mean, it was the worst. It sounded like we were at war. It was frightening to be outside because you don't know where those bullets are going to come down. And it wasn't just like pop, pop, pop. There were a lot of assault rifles that people were just willy
0: nilly blasting at something. It had to have been because I know, I mean, we know what kind of gunshots sound like. And we're all standing out there going, yeah, that sounded like an AR. Oh, that was a handgun. Oh, that was a firework. Oh, that was a handgun. Oh, that's another AR. It was. We should go inside and watch uh, Miley Cyrus and Dolly Parton on TV. That's probably safer.
1: Yeah, and it was. And we brought Puddle in, too. She spent the evening inside. So all that to say, we hope that you all had just as good of a New Year's Eve as we did, and that 2023 is treating you well. Mm -hmm. And we do have some very freaky stories to share with you today. You have curated quite a lineup. I'm excited to hear them. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get freaky. This first one is from Sarah, and it is called Mailroom Interns Make a Shocking Discovery. I grew up in a small Midwestern city where not much exciting happened, especially in my sheltered, homeschooled bubble. One summer, my sister, let's call her Alicia, was home from college and was working in a mailroom at a local company. She had just finished her first year of college, where she studied nursing. One of my friends was working with her. Let's call him Brad. Brad. He was in high school in our homeschool group. He was one of those guys who thought wearing multiple collared shirts and popping the collars was cool and thought it was edgy to download the clean versions of songs like Yeah by Usher and illegally distribute them to all the other homeschooled kids. And all the homeschooled girls agreed that he was hot stuff. This company had several buildings on their campus, so the mailroom people delivered mail to the different buildings and processed any mailings that went out. The mailroom was run by a gruff old man, let's call him Joe, who was rough around the edges. He had been unhoused for a time and had a difficult past, but he loved his mailroom job and being the boss of his young interns. He had never missed a day of work. The mailroom was like his baby and gave him a purpose, and he developed his own gruff old man affection for the mailroom interns and was a good boss to them. One day, Joe didn't come to work. Alicia and Brad were working hard doing what they were supposed to do. But when a few hours went by, they got worried and called one of their supervisors. The supervisor told the two mailroom interns to go check on Joe in his apartment. He lived pretty close by and Brad and Alicia went over to his place to knock on the door and make sure he was okay. Please note this was like 2006. They should have known better than to send interns to do a wellness check. The door was unlocked so they went into the apartment. Joe was dead on the bathroom floor. Brad was in biology class with me and could not handle a frog dissection, so he didn't handle this too well. Alicia, my sister, had just started a nursing program, so she wasn't squeamish and took charge and called 911. The 911 operator told her that she had to do chest compressions as part of protocol. My sister was able to check for a pulse, and Joe was cold, so he had been dead for a while. Joe was a big guy. So Alicia called for Brad to help remove him so she could do the compressions, and Brad really just couldn't handle it. She did her best, but Joe was already gone. Doctors say he died from a heart attack or a stroke. There was no evidence of foul play and no investigation beyond standard questions from police. My sister Alicia usually rode to work with my dad, but she called my mom and said, Hey, mom, I need you to come pick me up from work. My mom was like, Why? Are you sick or something? I'm kind of busy. I was in the car with my mom, and I remember my sister becoming hysterical and yelling into the phone so loudly I could hear it. I just found Joe's dead body, and I'm really upset. Can you please come and get me, Mom? Mom turned white as a sheet and said, of course, and went to pick her up. Of course, the supervisor was shocked and appalled that her two young mailroom interns had just discovered a dead body. My sister was okay. Brad was not. They both went home early and got a couple of days off and were able to recover from the trauma. Joe didn't really have any family or friends, so I think the company had a party in his honor. It was a company that liked to drink and party, so I'm sure it was a noble send-off for a lonely, gruff old man who found joy and comfort in his work. Keep it freaky, but not so freaky that you send college-aged mailroom interns to do wellness checks on their bosses.
0: Well, that is definitely a horrifying discovery. But from the flip side perspective of positive, he loved his job. He mm-hmm. loved his interns. And if in the very, I mean, final moments, he he was sounds like he was well gone by the time they yeah. arrived, that somebody like Alicia with kindness, compassion, empathy and care for him was kind of waiting with his body. And that's yeah. a huge burden for a young person to bear. Yeah, Huge. Luckily, she but, was in nursing school. So because if it had just been Brad on his own. I don't, I think Brad would have come undone. He would have run up out that building and that's it and probably wouldn't have even called 911. But Alicia <laughs> sounds like a perfect nurse where mm-hmm. you see a scary situation and say, okay, what do I do to help? How can I take care of this person? And then sadly, you have to process the trauma later, which sounds like when the mom was like, what do you really need? She's like, please
1: just don't yeah. get me. I can't do this. Anytime I've been in a traumatic or high stress situation like that, I'm very calm while it's happening. But then afterwards, when the adrenaline leaves your body and it's just like all those endorphins and stuff it's you're flooded with emotion and like tears just start coming you can't it's a, you can't help it
0: completely amazing how anybody does that my cousin that's a trauma nurse well she was a trauma nurse for like three decades and now kind of has a a less uh, upsetting nurse career, but she's still a nurse. But I've noticed like every family situation or she's been in public where someone like goes into cardiac arrest and has Mm -hmm. to jump in. And I'm like, you just just jumped in and did it. And she's like, yeah, that's what you do. I'm like, nurses, different cloth cut from a different cloth. They're Uh, built. Amazing. Yeah.
1: We do have to acknowledge though, Brad's bad boy homeschool downloading the clean versions and then like burning cds for all these girls who thought he was just the shit i love that and we need to there's not enough movies where all the kids are homeschooled and we get to see that dynamic but in in, like a fun rom-com
0: way (laughs) i would watch that especially if it starred brad and he's like guys I'm a Kazaa power user. I don't know if you've ever heard of a Napster, but he was on it. Man, I was in high school. I was all about those legal downloads back in the day. Oh, yes.
1: I remember Napster very well. And down, just, I mean, I was in college, but spending you just set up your computer in the queue to download hours of music and then just go away. And you'd come back and you'd have a bunch of songs.
0: Burn them on CDs that now I still have in my CD case Mm -hmm. in the other
1: room. Yep. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sarah, for sending that in. This next one is from Sharice, and this is called Edibles Impossible Trafficking. Hey there, ladies. Love the show and love y'all. Now on to the story. I take an annual girls trip with my best friend and their mom, my bonus mom, plus my goddaughter now. A few years ago, we stayed in Dallas for a long weekend. Day one, we arrived and went downtown for lunch and to scope out the Dart train situation. After lunch, my bestie gave me an edible. This will come in later. After bestie looks at their unreliable phone of the area, we decide we can walk to the nearest start station. Y'all, I've lived in Texas my whole life, but it was swamp ass levels of hot this day. Somehow our two block walk turned into 30 to 40 minutes of wandering around. I have the back of an old lady and was seriously in pain by the time we found our goal. Upon arriving, we realize we can't get passes for the next day and it was all for nothing. In this moment, I make a questionable choice and elect to stay behind alone and wait for them to come pick me up. As my bestie had my goddaughter, there was no question of them going alone. I'll go sit in the shade and chill, I tell them. They leave me and I wait in the terminal for a few minutes before moving. As I'm sitting, I become aware of a man across the way from me staring at me. I get that sense that all women know. Before I can leave, the train blocks me in. Of course, at this point, the man starts asking me questions. Am I from here? Am I alone? How long am I visiting? Getting more and more personal. Am I married? (laughs) Well, that's too bad. I keep my answers vague, but friendly, and leave as soon as possible. I walk over to a nice shaded area with benches, feeling safe, and I start feeling this edible kick in. I'm vibing, enjoying the breeze on my skin. Next thing I know, the same man who was waiting on the dart walks through the center of the area I'm sitting in, on the phone, and keeps glancing at me as he talks. I begin to sweat, feeling super aware of how alone I am. He slowly walks around the side of the building, but I can't relax. I feel like he's still lingering. Something about the way he was looking at me and that phone call made me feel like something was up. Soon, of course, he comes back and makes his way to sit on the bench a few over from me. Ha! I had the time wrong for my meeting. It's not until nine, so I can hang out a bit, he says to me. I vaguely say, oh, that's nice. We can drink here, he asks. As we are just sitting in front of a group of buildings downtown, I say, uh, I really don't think so. He pulls out a tall boy anyways and says, you aren't going to tell on me, are you? With a wink. I laugh nervously, trying to keep things casual and say, no, you're fine. My heart is beating so fast at this point. My phone had maybe 5% battery. I know, dumb. So I couldn't even really call someone. I was terrified of risking using my battery if I might need it. I sent a quick text to my husband and to my friend. Will you have a drink with me? He asks, moving closer, the bench next to mine now, holding his bag open. I say, oh, no thanks, I'm good. Come on, come on, just one drink, he urges. ''Uh, no thanks. I don't like beer much.'' He says, ''Oh, I can get you something else. We can go to the store.'' ''Really, it's okay.'' I reply. As time goes on, he looks at his phone more and more frequently, like he's waiting on something, and he finally moves right next to me. Thankfully, before anything else can happen, I hear a honk. My head snapping up. I see my bestie's bright yellow car. ''That's me.'' I say, hopping up. ''Oh, no, come on. Please just stay a bit longer.'' He says, glancing at his phone again. No, I can't. Have a nice day. I call over my shoulder as I jog off and hop in the car, smashing the lockdown. As we drive off, I see him back on the phone, looking annoyed. As we drove off and I told the story, that edible from earlier fully kicked in and I was high. I can only say I'm glad it didn't hit harder sooner. What do y'all think? Was I nearly trafficked or was it just a creepy man? I think both can be true. Yes, at the at the very least a creepy man is hitting on you, making unwanted advances and making you super uncomfortable. That's the bare minimum here, and that still sucks.
0: Yeah. Oh, definitely. I'm sorry no one stepped in. This seems like a kind of a situation where a uh we talked about it in the Kitty Genevieve's episode where they have those trainings where you just go oh hey girl i didn't know you'd be here at this train station and just like kind of do something because that's
1: obvious i think if she was by herself from the sound of it because she said she realized how alone she was so i think it was just her and this dude which is terrifying and guys like this know that they see an opportunity
0: what do you say my meeting got pushed until nine if early in the day you know maybe he's
1: cracking a tall boy first of all We all know you're not on your way to a meeting. What meeting are you – has now been pushed to nine. So it's uh, obviously before nine, and you're cracking a tall boy. So there's a lot of red flags. The phone thing is also very creepy. If not trafficking, just, I mean, somebody robbing you. You know, I mean, none of it sounds like anything I want to be a part of, and I'm glad your friend showed up when she did.
0: Yeah, that's uh, Dallas and Texas. Dallas, unfortunately, is a a big trafficking hub they've done studies and i think it's just because there's international airports train stations and a ton of highways that kind of go in every mm-hmm. direction so it's not out of the realm of possibility i don't like anybody looking uh nervous or angry if i'm leaving like ah, i got away like that that always makes you feel uncomfortable yeah. but yeah i think a guy rolling up it sucks that that happened i'm sorry i'm sorry dallas represented so badly yeah. in this scenario but and if I you're think, not from here I'm glad you made Dart it. Is our public transportation yes so. and not ideal i mean it's great yeah. it tries its best but i think living in chicago you realize like oh they should actually take you places and not just an extremely limited small area but i like trying to take it when i can but unfortunately if it's not well utilized it's not very not too many people around and therefore then you become isolated with mm-hmm. someone who's like it's five o'clock somewhere and you're like <laughs> right not a fun way yeah
1: well, we are very glad that you were safe, Sharice. Thank you so much for sending that in. This next one is from Olivia, and it is called, Have You Heard About Charlie? Hey, guys. My brush with true crime happened when I was back in high school. I grew up in a small town in upstate New York. My time in high school overlapped with my older sister, and I found myself drawn towards the cool kids she was friends with. One of those kids was Charlie. He was popular, incredibly smart, and was on his way to attending one of the Ivy Leagues in the fall. I heard of Charlie often. We even competed in our school badminton tournament together, me as a freshman and Charlie as a senior. And then one morning I looked and saw a text from my sister. It read, Have you heard about Charlie? No, I say. What happened? My phone vibrated after what felt like an eternity. There was a shooting at Charlie's house, she wrote my blood ran cold. "'Oh my God, is Charlie okay?' I asked, and I waited. "'I read her response once, twice, then a third time, "'looking for a mistake, even a hint of a typo, "'to avoid accepting what I was seeing as reality. "'She had said, "'I think Charlie shot someone.'" That week, we learned Charlie had used a shotgun to fatally shoot his father in their family home. A lot of details remained in the dark for years, Charlie had attempted to escape to Shanghai originally following the shooting, but he decided against it out of fear that his mother or brother may be held responsible for the crime. After returning home, he called 911 and reported the shooting and consequential death of his father to police. I watch, read, and listen, duh, to true crime constantly, even at the time this case occurred, but nothing could have prepared me for this trial. Being a fan of true crime is one thing but seeing it and knowing those involved, I felt so naive. Charlie pleaded not guilty to second-degree murder, and the case was initially declared a mistrial after the jury failed to reach an unanimous decision. Charlie was free, but only momentarily. The judge had actually been sanctioned for misconduct in this case, maybe others, and eventually, prosecutors discovered Charlie had attempted to sell off the shotgun he used to kill his father to an unsuspecting friend. He was sentenced to 20 years in prison for this and the prosecution felt content that they had gotten their pound of flesh. I remember seeing the picture of Charlie's mugshot after his initial arrest. Grinning, tight-lipped, almost in a state of hopeful disassociation. People not from our hometown say that because Charlie came from a rich, preppy town like ours, he had nothing to be angry about. He had nothing to be angry about. That his life was perfect because he had money, prestige, and options. They didn't talk about the abuse, about the domestic violence and emotional damage Charlie and his family had suffered for years at the hands of his father. Charlie was angry, and his temper was his biggest demon. I wasn't abused, so I can't say what I would have done in his position. In general, it's really hard for me to separate my friend Charlie from the person who came home from college, fully resolved to aim a shotgun at his father's face and pull the trigger. I may not have known Charlie like others did, I was as far on the outskirts of his circle of friends as you could get, but I still think about Charlie constantly. I wonder what he's doing and if he thinks about me or my sister at all. I wonder how things could have played out differently. I wonder what could have been done to save him and his family before he felt he had no other choice but to save them himself. They did not send a link to this article, but I had a feeling I knew what cases was about because I remember this at the time, and it was a really big case. So I, I feel like this is probably about Charlie Tan, um, which was, uh, I believe the trial was in 2018. And it was extremely sad. His father for 20 plus years had been abusing uh, he and his brother and his mom. And he when he went to college, the abuse between the father and mom escalated quite a bit. So it is very sad that Charlie felt like that was his only way of protecting the family and what a bright future he
0: had that is now looks a lot different. Much, much different. The article that you included for me for context procedurally it is, interesting especially regarding the misconduct of the judge because it looks like he was charged with murder the incident happened in february of 2015 he was charged with murder there was a mistrial in november of 2015 so then the prosecutors appeal for a new trial you know thinking they're going to be able to get another crack at it because it was essentially just a hung jury Mm -hmm. and the supreme court of the state of new york's appellate division dismissed the case in 20 in March of 2017. And so then that's when in September of 2017, federal po- prosecutors came in and said, okay, well, they can't get him at the state level for the murder charge, we can get him federally for a federal weapons charge. And then he pled guilty in that case, and was sentenced to 20 years in that case. And in an affidavit regarding the sentencing, He straight up just said, I did it. He said, I witnessed my father abuse my mom. And he said, I I knew that in killing my father, I would be throwing away my future. But I wasn't thinking of that after a phone call he received on February 4th, when his mother indicated, your dad's abusing me so bad. The next time he goes off, I think he's going to kill me. And he said, he just came home. He said, I knew that killing my father would be wrong. But in my own mind, I felt I had to do so to protect my mother. And the lawyer said, hey, don't do that because you're going to essentially admit to a murder. And I think, I guess if the dismissal is a true dismissal, then that's res judicata, which means this has already been decided. We can't file again. Did he, uh, I think, did he do it to get a lighter sentence? And that's what it was. That yeah. He wanted to prove in the federal sentencing guidelines uh, cooperation is one of the ways to reduce the sentence. And so he thought, okay, well, if I cooperate and give this affidavit listing out why i did try to get rid of this gun why i did what i did it wasn't that he was trying to like traffic a gun no he was saying i did this crime to protect my mother and then i the problem is there's no imminent harm i mean if you come home just kind of wait around then your dad attacks you. i'm not telling you how to get away with it but if you could have said oh there was an imminent threat man he was on top of my mom you know choking her and i really thought he was going to kill mm-hmm. her that's a much stronger defense mm-hmm. than she told me that he abused her and then i just went home and sought vengeance on my own you cannot yeah. Th- yeah, you and I'm,
1: i mean he'd seen it for his whole life so he knew what his dad was capable of the neighbors said they were shocked i mean it shocked the whole town i mean he was i mean he was i think he was going to not stanford some uh um Cordell? in here
0: so, I believe that's correct. Yes,
1: yeah, so a, a very prestigious school. He was yes. extremely smart, had an incredibly bright future. All the neighbors said they were an extremely nice family. They, You would have never thought anything like that was going on, which just goes to show that we don't ever know what's going on behind closed doors. So don't be so quick to jump to assumptions that he had everything going for him. What could he possibly have been upset about? There was a lot that he could have been upset about, so um i remember this case and i've thought about this over the past few years i'm assuming that this is the case if i am if i am incorrect please let me know but by all accounts it sounds like this was definitely that i'm sure a lot of our listeners will remember this too so he's in jail right now and i guess if he was sentenced in 2018 for 20 years well 2048 yeah unless you can get out earlier on i don't
0: know when you make a deal can you get out earlier uh, in federal prison if you're sentenced to 20 years or it's no matter what you're sentenced to in federal prison you serve 85 uh, percent at least mm. so that's well maybe be, he'll get out a little earlier and i'm yeah. not
1: you know obviously murder is murder and it's it's wrong this case though does pull at your heartstrings because he was just a kid trying to protect his mom and younger brother at the end of the day
0: it's an interesting mitigating argument and i've would assume that's why you had a jury that refused to reach a unanimous mm-hmm. decision because you may have somebody in there that's or multiple people in there that have been affected by domestic violence and said I'd have done the same thing. Yeah, and and in that case, that's a jury of your peers that have decided not to. It's odd that the judge really closed that door on him getting retried for it because you know if you get a sympathetic jury or you present the right case, you might get manslaughter or you might get a a lighter sentence, but instead they kind of went the other route with the weapons charge, which is an interesting tactic.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sending that one in,
0: Olivia. Well, this next one we have is from No Thanks. And the subject, (laughs) (laughs) it's a great name. (laughs) Uh, The subject line is dead chicken cult in Chicago. Hi, ladies. First, thank you for keeping home close to heart while I lived in the Midwest. I'm originally from South Texas, and I was living in the Chicago suburbs for the past two years. I recently moved back, but your voices soothed my homesickness. Anyway, I was working at a refinery outside of Chicago when this happened. One day, we were having lunch with our refinery manager, basically the boss of the whole plant, when she mentioned how she kept seeing bananas on the railroad tracks on the way to work. One of my other co-workers said he was also seeing them. So, as a joke, we decided to start keeping track of when the bananas appeared and where on the tracks they were found. My co-worker even decided to pick up a banana and bring it into the office. The banana was green, so we waited to see if it ripened, but it never did. We thought we had figured out where the bananas were coming from when a news story came out that a Jewel Osco, like a less superior HEB, Nearby was trying to break the record for Biggest Banana Stand, but we still kept finding bananas. Finally, my coworker set up a game camera facing the tracks to finally catch where the fruits were coming from. He reviewed the footage, thinking he'd find an animal leaving them, but it was not an animal. The footage showed a man in a truck stop near the tracks and throw a banana on the tracks, then take a bag with them into the woods nearby. He came back to the truck without the bag. So my co-worker went in to investigate. He found the bag, and inside was a giant rooster with its head cut off. I know, we did not see that coming. He took the dead rooster to his father-in-law, who was a vet, to confirm it was a chicken. He confirmed it and that the head was cut clean off with something very sharp. I thought maybe there was an illegal cockfighting ring in the area. We were near Joliet. But then, why mark the spot with a banana? My co-worker was sure he stumbled upon a cult ritual. With that, the joke was over, and we decided not to track the bananas anymore. What do you think? Is it a cult or criminal activity?
1: Well, first of all, don't throw a banana on a on a train track, because that train's just going to slip
0: right off. <laughs> what do you, you... This is Mario Kart. This is serious rules, man. That, Wild. It took a turn when you... I mean...
1: This coworker, very bold to be like, I'm going to go see what's... But at
0: the same time, I think I would have done the same thing. You got to know what's in the bag, right? I have so much respect for not only noticing, discussing tracking setting up a camera mm-hmm. reviewing the footage this is very much some shit me and my coworkers would do <laughs> yeah. like when back when i worked at like magic time insurance or like when i worked at sea dog especially this mm-hmm. is also very chicago of like let's find it out figure it out ourselves we'll do it my thing is don't go poking around the woods if you don't want to find a dead chicken because that's i mean you found it you went looking and you found it i don't know that it would have to do with cockfighting. i mean there were arrests or on the southern suburbs, like near Joliet, like around the time I left. I left in 2011. I think there were arrests in like 2011, 12, 13, 14 of some like cockfighting rings that were going on around there. But I don't know that the banana has anything to do with it.
1: Yeah, it's very bizarre. The banana is the, the key here. Throwing a banana on the track, then going like almost as an offering or some kind of like they said a. Maybe not even a cult ritual, but your own type of ritual. I I, I don't know. I, I don't have an answer for this, except for the joke shouldn't have been over, you guys. You had to you got to go deeper. That's just Always. the tip of the iceberg. I mean, keep yourself safe, but keep that game camera up. You I mean, because at that point, if this guy's throwing a headless chicken in a bag in the woods, who knows what else he might be capable of? Maybe we need to keep our finger
0: on this guy. Yeah, and I'm not trying to find out what the very sharp thing was that he used to lop the chicken's head yeah, off.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a that's quite a discovery, honestly. Better than what I thought you were going to find. So, I mean, <laughs> yikes! But still,
0: shocking to open that, and that's what you see. Honestly, reading it for some reason, I was like, "Did he shit in the woods? Like, were you?" But then he wasn't eating the banana because it wasn't just peels. Also, at first I thought you were going to say somebody was just throwing bananas out and then you confront them and they said, listen, my wife wants me to eat bananas and I'm just not going to do it. And I just throw them out the car. I'm sorry if it's bothering you. I'm just not going to eat the banana. But I think this might – it might be like a religious ritual. Yeah. And, you know, you have the First Amendment, but you also have case law where it's like if it's a danger to public health, like you can't dump – if you do animal sacrifices as part of your religion, you can't dump it down the drain because it might have liquid-borne illnesses. You know, Mm -hmm. it might cause everybody to be ill in the water supply. So if it is a ritualistic activity, I guess it's not hurting anybody if you leave the chicken in the woods. I found out the other day because – of uh, a reason
1: that you can bury your pets in your backyard our pets are fine this has nothing to do with me but i always thought you couldn't bury animals in like city limits (laughs) but you can you can but i always thought that because i mean there might be certain laws certain places in Dallas County though if you go I think it said you got to go like three to four feet deep down though
0: (laughs) (laughs) which is a pretty
1: deep hole Um, but I always thought that too that like because it would get in the water but Tommy said well it's no different than just like an animal dying naturally in the woods which is a good point so uh, all that to say um, in Dallas you can bury apparently your pets in your backyard so Nancy you're fine (laughs) So I (laughs) guess you can throw a chicken in a bag in the woods. The bananas are honestly the bigger question I have.
0: Yeah. This did bring back uh, my memories of Chicago, of my shopping at the Jewel Osco. Not the Mm. nicest grocery (laughs) store, but it was mine. Mm.
1: (laughs) You know what? We all take what we can get in certain situations. So if Jewel Osco was your
0: best bet, there you go. That's all I had. Well, thanks. No, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this next one is from our pal, Cass, and the subject line is Ambien Wilden. Hey, y'all. Love you bunches. Let's jump right in. Cass here with a wild and wacky tale for you. I was talking to my mama the other day, and she reminded me of this. I thought y'all would find this interesting. A recent Freaky Friday reminded me of my sleepwalking adventures, so here goes. I've always been a weirdo. Shout out, am I right? When I was a kid, I used to sleepwalk. Like, A lot. My parents and grandparents thought I was kidnapped on more than one occasion because they couldn't find me when I wandered off in my sleep. One time, my grandmother found me sleeping across the dining room chairs under the kitchen table. They added locks I couldn't reach so I wouldn't leave the house. I've always talked in my sleep too, for as long as I can remember. Fast forward to 2011. I've been working night shifts at my first nursing job, graduated in 2010. I tell my doctor that I'm struggling with sleeping during the day. After trying a couple of different meds that didn't work, my doctor decided that we would try Ambien. We had been avoiding it because of my history of sleepwalking and my still active sleep talking. There was a high risk that I might engage in other sleep activities. Well, boy, did I. My boyfriend at the time was working days, and he was unaware of my daytime activities because he assumed I was sleeping. I would wake up with snacks in the bed, so it was clear that I was sleep eating. The weirdest part, though, was that it was snacks that I wouldn't normally eat, specifically chili cheese Fritos. I checked my bank account. Around 1 p.m. almost every day, I had been going to a gas station near our apartment. I would leave our second-floor apartment, go down the stairs, get in my car, get on a main highway, drive to the gas station, buy two bags of chips, go home, and eat the chips and I had no recollection of this. This went on for three weeks. I went to the gas station while awake, and the cashier confirmed that I did this almost every day, and she just assumed I was high off my ass because I could barely keep my eyes open. During the same period of time, I had tried to fight the Ambien one night after I took it because I needed to do a couple of things, and I started hallucinating. I remember pointing at the thermostat and just saying, Buffalo. Buffalo! My ex kept saying, that's a thermostat. I was adamant that it was a buffalo. Ambien is wild, y'all. After the sleep driving and sleep eating, the Ambien was discontinued and I have never gone back on it. As a nurse, I've seen a lot of adverse effects of my patients on Ambien, especially in combination with other meds. Be careful. It's very effective, but can have some really nasty side effects for some people. I haven't had any sleepwalking adventures that I can recall since then, but I do have full conversations in my sleep sometimes. I shout sometimes, I'm on meds that are supposed to suppress it. It's kept me from sleepwalking, but I'm still active in my sleep. I have sleep paralysis sometimes, and my doctor believes it's the result of hypnagogic, a state of half asleep, half awake, hallucinations, related to my brain still being so active while I'm asleep. As long as I'm not sleep- Falling down the stairs, I suppose that's a win. Sleep safe, Sinisterhood fam. Ugh.
1: Cass, I'm very glad you were okay and didn't get into an accident. This kind of stuff, though, makes... Every time I'm in the car on the highway, I sometimes I look around and I go, there's... who knows what anybody's doing over there. I, I mean, people are on their phone. People might be sleep driving. They're not paying attention. They're drunk very interesting that sleep cast is like chili cheese fritos are my fave but weight cast
0: wouldn't touch them it's like i don't normally buy that i mean they're <laughs> fine i don't know but it's like deep down you had no idea you had like a mm-hmm. hankering for them They're i like a chili cheese frito yeah, they're good. i like the honey barbecue twist better which i used to be a chili cheese frito fan then i switched over if i'm having fritos i'm gonna go for the flavor twist but i find it fascinating that the Cashier was like, "Yeah, you're the person. Yeah, you come in here all the time. Wow. You just thought you were fucked up. Whatever. I want to
1: hear the cashier side of this too. <laughs> that for that around one fifteen every day, Cass was coming in, just buying chips. They thought they were drunk, and then sent them on their way, just no questions asked. And then you realize, oh no, they were on sleeping pills. Why? Right? Wild stuff. What we're capable of when our brains are just on autopilot. That you could." walk downstairs, get in the car, drive on a highway, interact with people, go back, eat, and not remember any of that.
0: Haunting. And especially you got to go check your bank statement, and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, it was me. No, I did it. The Fritos were coming from inside the house. <laughs> yeah. God damn. yeah At least like you didn't memento all of a sudden everything starts clicking together you're putting it all together yourself <laughs> you're writing it up on your arms of like you bought fritos today you <laughs> bought the fritos well thank you for sending that in that is that's similar to my ambient experience i had did not have a good experience on it and um i've never had um sleep walking but i have done sleep talking and i've had Significant uh, night terrors, and mm-hmm. so I think the ambient was not a good move for that. Sleep hygiene was a better move, but that's hard. That you had to work a, a reverse shift, you know, a night mm-hmm. shift. My my dad worked uh, nights for the majority of his life, except for in the last like probably ten years. And it's rough having to go to bed at six PM yeah. and wake up at midnight. And you know, yeah, it's a, you have
1: to rewire everything that you have done up until then. Luckily, though, you didn't have a buffalo for a thermostat, so that's
0: that's a positive. <laughs> Right? Otherwise, call your landlord. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Cass. We appreciate it. This final one is for Moose, and the subject line is Mom, Friend, Ghost. Hey, ladies. Love the show, and I can't wait until I get to see y'all live eventually. You make my hour-long commute to and from work each day tolerable. The feel-good ghost story from last Freaky Friday made me realize it was time to send this story in. There's kind of a lot of backstory before we get to the ghosty part, so bear with me. I am part of a volunteer sailing program. The crew ranges in age from 18 to whatever. Like, seriously, we have had people in their 80s on crew some years. Anyway, we all become like a close family because we all spend so much time together working and training. One of my crewmates for the 2021-2022 season quickly became the mom friend of the crew. She would always check on everyone, make sure people were drinking water in the heat of summer, crack jokes when people were sad, etc. She was amazing. Unfortunately, you can read the title of this story, so you know what happens next. In February of 2022, there was a tragic accident that took mom friend's life. Many of us were there to witness it, and it honestly fucked me up pretty bad, but that's not what this story is about. This story is about Mom Friend and her legacy. The accident was sudden, tragic, and completely random. She was here one second, and then the next, she was gone. Every year, we make t shirts for that training year, usually something fun or silly about the year. For 2022, we made memorial shirts for Mom Friend because nothing else seemed right. For a while after we got them, I couldn't bring myself to wear it. It felt like it would make it real or final to wear the memorial shirt, so it hung in my closet for several months after she passed. Eventually, I got around to wearing it on my weekends since I can't wear t-shirts to work. Now, my watch has a feature that reminds you to drink water. Basically, it buzzes every 15 minutes to make me drink water. I keep this feature on when I'm at work because I will 100% forget to drink water if I don't have it on. But when I'm home on weekends, I turn it off because I'm better about water at home. It's not possible to accidentally turn this feature on or off. It's a whole ordeal to change it. You can probably see where this is going. Every single time I wear the memorial shirt for mom friend, my water alarm turns back on. I will turn it off and ignore it. 15 minutes later, it turns back on and buzzes at me. Until I acknowledge it, take a drink of water, and usually curse at her, It will keep turning back on. It makes me feel good to know that she's still looking out for us, even on the other side. But also, mom friends beware, apparently your job doesn't stop when you pass. You have to keep taking care of us monsters until we learn to do it ourselves, I guess. It kind of makes me sad that she's still hanging around and hasn't moved on. But it's comforting to know that she's still taking care of us and still spending time with those of us she cared so much about. I thought maybe after we later to rest at sea it would stop, but it hasn't. She still bugs me to drink water whenever I wear her shirt. Thank you for reading. I know this wasn't as shocking or spooky as some of the stories that you've had for Freaky Friday, but it's one that's very close to my heart, and I finally felt comfortable to share. I think that's that's very sweet and all of it that
1: you guys made uh, t-shirts for her, and um, I've never done crew, but I've known people that have and it really is like a family because it's so much work. And I mean, you're, you know, like, improv or anything where you're together a lot, you form these bonds. So that's a a tragic thing that you guys witnessed. So I'm very sorry about that. I'm glad that she seems to still be looking out for everyone.
0: Yeah, still, like you said, showing up and reminding y'all to take care of yourselves. Maybe that's what it is. Now that she's not around, she's just giving you a little, mm-hmm. little tap on the shoulder to take care of yourself. A friend of ours' mom was kind of the mom of our friend group, and when she passed away, also very suddenly things will happen and we'll call it a Betty hug we're like oh Mm. it's a Betty hug like something uh, like a beautiful sunset when we're all together and we'll like walk out and we're like oh it's a better sunset than usual and we're like that was Betty not Mm. always or certain things like the servo will accidentally bring an, an extra round of drinks and be like oh sorry I'm not gonna charge you for these no worries and we're like that's a Betty hug. Oh, I love that. So, certain things like that. It's just nice when you have that that warm feeling that you still feel cared for, even mm-hmm. when they're not around. And that's just a testament to how beautiful your mom friend was. So. Yes. It's wonderful that you still have her, Moose. I'm glad that she'll still visit you. Yes. Thanks for sending it. Thank you so much for sending that in. Thank you to everybody who sent
1: in your Freaky Friday stories. If you have an odd but true story, maybe you've encountered Bigfoot, you've seen a UFO, you had a brush with true crime, or you felt the presence of an otherworldly being, send them in at SinisterHood.com slash Freaky Friday. We love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost, so if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the
0: cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Rolling the Airwaves and Getting Into It tier, A special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode, and patron-exclusive video and audio content including Am I the Asshole, Relationship Advice, Judge Christie, Dear Sinister, True Crime Headlines, and more. And patrons in our Getting Into It tier are also able to vote on a bonus content segment each month they would like to see live-streamed. You also have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real
1: time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We hop on occasionally, and we host monthly Q&As on Crowdcast, where you can ask us all your burning
0: questions. For patrons not in the U.S., you have the option to pay in pounds or euros, saving you the cost of the conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. Those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details
1: on all of this and specific member tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click Patreon on the top
0: banner. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. And if you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like T-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Shop on the top banner. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify,
1: or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. You can also share any episode by clicking the three dots in the top right corner, and share topic-based playlists from Spotify by visiting sinisterhood.com/playlists.
0: All of this means so much to us, and really helps podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod, like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood, and follow us on YouTube and TikTok at Sinisterhood Podcasts. Where are you at, Christy? I'm on Instagram at Christy M Wallace and Twitter and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather. I'm on Twitter at MCK vs. The World, and I'm on TikTok and Instagram at Heather vs. The World. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy.